Hello and welcome to this episode of the Oasis Church podcast, featuring a talk from Bringing Life, our series exploring the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Together, we see how Joseph is someone who brings life to those around him, even in some tough situations. How his story points forward to Jesus, the ultimate life bringer, and how the invitation for each of us is to be those who bring life in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Ready? Here we go. The reading today is from Genesis 37 verses 1 to 11. Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhar and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Joseph made, Jacob made a special gift for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered round and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of a dream is that? he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Carol. And hello, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning from a very snowy South Street. Uh, we've made it in here, um, but uh, I wouldn't recommend kind of uh, heading out except today to build snowmen and maybe have some snowball fights, maybe build an igloo, uh, as Rod and Hannah encouraged us to do at the very start of our meeting. Um, but what we're going to do right now is we're going to continue our series exploring the life of Joseph and it's my privilege to um, look at the next part of that story together. We have just started a series last week, Adrian kicked it off, uh, we've entitled Bringing Life. 
And last week, uh, we looked at the very end of the story. We set the scene of Joseph as someone who was able to know life in whatever circumstances he'd faced, including some pretty dark years of suffering and slavery and imprisonment. And yet he was also someone who was able to bring life into those situations for the good of others. And today, we come back to the start of the story. We find Joseph as a 17-year-old on the cusp of becoming a man. But as we meet him, we're not starting the story in isolation. Joseph's story takes place at a specific point in the story of the people of God told through the book of Genesis. It's the last story to be told in that book. And it draws together a number of the key themes that I've been building and building over the chapters so far. And we need to understand those if we're to understand both what the story itself, Joseph's story is telling us, and also what God is saying to us through that story. And absolutely fundamental to that is the fulfillment of God's promises to his people for all people. This is what God promises Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. It's the promise that keeps coming through again and again in the book, God's word, that he will make Israel into a great nation. One who would fulfill the first mandate to humanity, the first command given in Genesis chapter 1, to fill the earth and multiply, to bring God's life and light to every corner of the earth, that they would be blessed in order to bring blessing to all. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go to your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I'll curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, is the word, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And throughout the book, that same promise comes through again and again. In Genesis chapter 17, we hear the same words, but with another layer to them. This time God says, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. There's a royal announcement that the people of God will be kings, will be leaders, will be those who rule and reign with God over creation as had always been his design before sin crept into the world and brought with it brokenness and pain and death. And there's this promise again and again that through his people, God is going to raise up someone who will undo the effects of the curse, who will bring about the fruitfulness and multiplication that's been threatened by the entrance of sin into the world. Someone who will restore creation to that Eden ideal, where God's promise of abundant life going out to all the world is finally fulfilled. And so, as we come to these verses about Joseph, as Joseph's story starts, anyone who's been reading the story all the way through, attentive readers, 
are waiting. They're waiting for the arrival of a, a royal seed, a king to come, someone spoken of who is going to change everything, who would fulfill God's promise and restore things to how they were always meant to be. See, the promise had been given to Abraham, but it hadn't been fulfilled. His son, Isaac, had, had carried it forward, but it's not quite there. And then there's his son, Jacob, someone with 12 sons. And so he kind of seems to be fulfilling at least the multiplication part of the promise. But his life has been filled with setbacks as well, failures and immorality and deceit. A family that's growing, sure, but it's not growing in a particularly healthy way. It doesn't seem like a family that is bringing life and goodness and light to all of creation. And I wonder if you might feel sometimes like those first readers would have done, particularly at the moment, particularly in the situation that our world finds itself in at the moment, that we know we have a God who desires to bring life and light and goodness to all creation, but it just seems dark. It's just hard out there at the moment. And we're just left wondering when, when are things gonna change? When is God gonna do what he's promised? When are things gonna be as they're meant to be? When are things gonna be as we're longing for them to be? We know, don't we, over the last year or so, the loss of so much that we've held dear, relationships, personal connection, time together, and so much more. What we're feeling at the moment is not how things are meant to be. That's how the first readers reading Genesis would have felt as well. They know that things are not meant to be, but they've got hope that things are not always going to be that way because of God's promises. And so I think this story that we're looking at in the coming weeks has something incredible to say to us in that place. And so we come to the opening verses of this, the book's final section, and we're introduced to another. We're introduced to Joseph. And readers who remember these promises of fruitfulness and life and light have felt the sense of anticipation building through the story. And they see this introduction, and the question they're asking is, is this the one? Is this the one who's going to come and change everything? Is this the one who is to come, or... Are we waiting for another? So what do we find as we're first introduced to Joseph? Well, to be honest, it's a bit of a mixed bag. We see a young man who, on the one hand, seems to be the kind of person who perhaps could fulfill those promises. His dreams mark him out as a leader, someone who might be able to take up that mantle to rule and to reign justly. He is the beloved son of his father. He's a child of promise. He's born to Jacob's most dearly loved wife, Rachel. He's been clothed in his famous coat, his kutaneth parsim, a cloak of many colors. And that's a Hebrew phrase that only occurs in one other place 
in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 13, where it's described as a royal robe. It's a cloak worn by the daughters of the king. We're introduced to someone who seems to be heading for greatness. Perhaps he's the one. Perhaps he's going to change everything. But at the same time, he's entangled in all of the familiar failings of the people of God that we've met so far in the book of Genesis. Just like his father, he's caught up in an intense sibling rivalry. And given that his father, Jacob, had endured the pain of playing second fiddle to his father's favorite son, his brother, Izu, which ultimately culminated in Jacob tricking Izu out of his inheritance and disguising him as his brother in order to claim their father's blessing, you might have thought that he might be more attentive to not sowing division amongst his sons. But as is so often the way, history repeats itself. Jacob lavishes favor on Joseph alone, and bitterness and division and hatred are the fruits that grow up amongst his brothers. Something we need to be attentive to as well. I know in my life it's so easy to repeat the mistakes of the past. We need God's word to come to us again, to open our eyes to the blind spots in our lives, to enable us to see a way forward for ourselves, for our families, for our communities. But this family are repeating all the same mistakes again. And Joseph is reveling in the attention. He's full of arrogance. He's someone who hears God's word, but he does not display the wisdom to share it sensitively. He's busy criticizing his brothers to his father behind their back. He's busy lording his dreams over them, feeding their hatred of him. Three times in five verses, we're told how their hatred is growing. And so we've got this story, and we're not sure how it's all going to pan out. We've got someone who seems on the one hand to be born to fulfill the promise to bring life, someone who hears God's word, someone with hints of a royal ruler who can bring about a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed. But on the other hand, we've got someone who is deeply flawed in a family repeating the mistakes of past generations in a context where trouble and hatred seem to be brewing, seem to be rising. And we'll see how this plays out in the coming chapters. But even more important than what this story is going to tell us about Joseph in the coming weeks is what it's going to tell us about God. That's why these things have been written down. That's why we're looking at them in our time together today, not primarily that we might explore this story and get to know Joseph and think, ah, oh, maybe he's a great guy. Maybe he wasn't such a great guy. Maybe he was but that we might get to know the kind of God who, as Adrian spoke about last week, has worked in the midst of this story, worked in the midst of these people, in the good and the bad and the messiness and the reality of human life, 
a God who has worked in the midst of all of that in order to save many lives and to invite us into the life that he has for us today. And so this morning, we're going to ask uh, the questions that I'm always asking whenever I come to a story in the Bible. What does this tell me about God? What does it tell me about myself? And how do I need to respond? Those are three great questions to ask whenever we come to the word. And the first thing it tells me is that God's people have always been a people of the promise because God is a promise-making God. But unlike some of the promises that I might make and sometimes break, both in the small, uh, yes, of course, I'll take the bins out, yes, of course, I'll mow the lawn this weekend, and in the big, the moments when I have let people down, when I've said I'll do something and not come through for them and it's caused hurt. Unlike me, God never breaks his promises. And the reason for that is because his promises are his word and his word creates as it is spoken. As Mike Blaber is fond of saying, God's word is always creating. It's always bringing hope where there is no hope, faith where there is no faith, life where there is no life. The word of God at the very beginning speaks into the darkness and births light. It speaks to the chaos and creates order. It speaks to the dust and breathes humanity. When God makes a promise, he is, even in that moment, speaking into being the fulfillment of that promise through the unfolding of his great plan throughout history. As God speaks his promise, his word is creating the context. It's creating the moment when it will be fulfilled. That's the power of his word. And so because of that, he is completely trustworthy. He's wholly dependable. He's unshaken by doubt or distress. His word cannot be stopped. His promises cannot be discarded. As Paul puts it, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus, the word of God himself, the word God's promises become flesh, comes to fulfill every promise in himself from the word to Abraham to the promises to a people in exile that we find in the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah for the words of Paul and John and the other New Testament authors, God's promises can be banked upon because they rest not in a vague hope of what God might do at a distant point in the future, but in what he has already done through Christ. And this is good news for us, friends. This is such good news because we come to the same God and we bring the same promises. Just before Christmas, uh, we put together a short Oasis Advent devotional based on the writings of Charles Spurgeon, who writes that promises from God for his people found throughout the Bible 
are like a check that's waiting to be cashed. And so what we're supposed to do with them is we're to take them, to take them for ourselves, to read the promises in the word, to receive them as true, to accept them by faith as our own, and then to believingly present them back to the Lord like we might present a check at a bank counter. And as we do that, as we come to God, as we pray, as we hand back to him the promises that he has made, we're to know that whether we receive the full promised amount immediately, or whether there's a time of waiting before it lands in our account, we're to count that that blessing contained within the promise is ours in Christ. We're to come to God boldly in prayer and say to him, this is your promise, I'm cashing it in. And as we find ourselves in the midst of a global pandemic, perhaps wondering in this moment how to hold on to hope, how to pray, how to keep coming to God when it all feels overwhelming, it's comforting, it's releasing to be able to approach him with his own promises, to use his words when we don't have our own. When we're weighed down with everything going on, we can take Jesus' promise, for example, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's his word to us. We're to take that promise and bring it to him with confidence. When we're pulled in one direction or another, we can come with the words of Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep them in perfect peace whose minds are fixed on you. We fix our eyes on God again. When we're feeling at the end of ourselves, we can pray that promise of Nehemiah 8, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. We can know the sustaining power of his Holy Spirit once again. There are treasures in here to sustain us each and every day. And not just for us to read, but for us to take and pray and bring to God and call on him to fulfill his word in us again. And believe and know that he will because he has already done it and fulfilled it all through Christ. Pages of scripture are filled with the promises of God to his people. Words of comfort, words of hope, words of encouragement, of grace and truth, words to strengthen us in every trial, to humble us in every moment of pride, to remind us of his goodness in every moment of doubt and forgetfulness. And I know I've got plenty of all of those. As the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And that's the point. He who promised is faithful. We trust in God's promises, not because of our own ability to fulfill them by our own efforts. We trust because they come not as abstract concepts or vague hopes. They come embedded in the very person of Jesus himself. His promises are always 
personal. They're always deeply relational. In Joseph, we see a glimpse of the promises coming to fulfillment. But in Jesus, the promises take on flesh. We see in this story we've read this morning a picture of a dearly loved son of the father, someone born to rule and reign with justice and righteousness, not out of arrogance, not for his own power and pleasure, but in order to bring God's blessing to all nations. We find someone born into a context of a world filled with division and hatred, a small people who don't seem to have much sway in the world compared to the mighty empires of the day. We find someone who, as we're going to go on to see in the coming weeks, was betrayed by those closest to him, sold for pieces of silver, stripped and sent into the ultimate exile of death. But who returns in order to bring life, not just to his family, but to any who would come and receive. How do we answer those questions from earlier? We see in Joseph a picture of Jesus, the perfect saviour, the true fulfilment of God's promises. One whose faithfulness in laying down his life, like a seed falling to the ground so it can grow and bear fruit, multiplies the blessing of God to bring life to every corner of the world. We see our own brokenness, like Joseph, blinded by our weaknesses, surrounded by trouble, yet held in the arms of a God who will work for good to bring life. That's what we sung about earlier, when the night is holding on, God is holding on to us all the more. In that place, in that moment, all the more, his hand is reaching out, ready to take us in his arms again. And that's the Jesus who now invites each of us to respond, to respond by coming and drawing close, to receive that life again, to receive the one who has done it all through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and to play our part in bringing life to the unique place that each and every one of us inhabits. We are to continue the family business given at creation, promised to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, and now carried forward in us who are in him to multiply goodness that all might be blessed. We are invited to receive again the life of Jesus, long promised, long foretold, long foreshadowed. And as we drink deeply of him again, to allow his life to well up within us, to overflow and pour out that life, to bring life to a weary and thirsty world. In this season, the invitation is for us to press into the promises of God again, to know them not as ancient history, not as words in a book that's maybe a little bit dustier than we might like 
to admit. But as the words of Jesus, a living word for us to receive again with faith, knowing that God will always fulfill his promises because he already has in Christ. That's who he is. That's who we need. And that's how we respond. There is always light, as the poet Amanda Gorman said this week. If we're brave enough to see it, if we're brave enough to be it, all light and life are found in him. And we are welcomed in to the story started all those years ago to bring that flourishing to all of creation. Things are tough out there, but we are holding on to the one who always keeps his promises. The one who now, in this moment, invites you to draw close and receive from him again his abundant life. Mm -hmm.